you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS in Pasadena for a morning of multilingual readings, interactive performances, and lots of kid fun. It's Super Fun Saturday on June 1st. Get your tickets at LAS.com slash events. Studios. Hey, this is How Do LA producer Evan Jacoby. You've probably noticed, but after all that rain, our Southern California landscape has got a little extra green in it. And a lot of that extra greenery is edible. Mushrooms, wild mustard, nasturtiums, sorrel, our wild foods are super abundant right now. Of course, you're going to want to know exactly what you're eating. There's plenty of plants you're going to want to avoid. So today we're bringing you an episode we did last fall, when Just Starwood took us foraging for wild food tacos in the Santa Monica Mountains. In uh, one of my secret spots. (laughs) This is Jess. Jess Starwood. We're going to see if our recent rains prompted anything to pop up. Jess is a professional forager here in Los Angeles. Mushroom hunters are extremely protective of their spots. You get to know how well you stand with your friends by how many spots they share with you. She's taking us deep into the Santa Monica Mountains to some of her secret spots. Oh, what is this? Nightshade berries, and there they are edible. Wow, that tastes so good. Good. You might be surprised by how much of our native environment is edible. People don't think of Southern California as a place of abundant wild food. You know, it's dry, it's a desert, we haven't had rain in nine months. But if you're like Jess and you know where to look, there's something nutritious to eat around every corner. Prickly pear, oak trees, all the different sages, elderberries. I'm Brian De Los Santos, and this is How to LA. Today, we're going foraging. Ow, ow, ow. Am I going to bleed? No. Oh, it's just the stinging, that's it. And Jess is going to cook us up something special with what we find. Forest to table, forest uh-huh. to fork. Eat a taco? Yeah, something like that. All righty, y'all. Quick disclaimer. Some of the things we're eating today have deadly lookalikes. Jess is an expert. Don't go eating wild food unless you know exactly what you're doing. We're on a trail. It's green, luscious mountains everywhere. Some dry grass around us, but we're about to hike for some food. Right now we're walking past all this wild mustard that looks dead, looks like a bunch of sticks, but you know the whole plant is edible at some point during its life. Does Evan has a track record that he schedules outings that have inclines or hikes after <laughs> my leg days. And I'm over here on this incline that's like really hitting a stride here. We're not gonna tell you exactly where we're hiking and gathering today. And it's not just so Jess can save it all for herself. In the foraging community, sustainability is the name of the game. Yeah, you know, Anytime we're taking something from the environment, we're having an impact. A little different than going to the store. You can't just take whatever you want. The animals and other creatures depend on all of, all of these foods as well. It's not just us. 
The practice of gathering and eating wild foods has been a part of life in this area for thousands of years. Today, Jess is looking for ingredients to make us some very special wild food tacos. Acorns to make the tortilla flour, mushrooms for the filling. A little pasture here. Uh, yeah, it's changed a bit since I was here last. Jess is taking us to a few places along this creek. It's wet, the rocks are everywhere, you don't really know where you're going to step. But Jess says that there might be oyster mushrooms growing on these willow trees. Oyster mushrooms are going to be maybe 10 days or so after a good heavy rain. We should be just about in that window right now. Fingers crossed, but never any promises. Talk about just foraging for a second. On the drive here, I was telling my friend about coming to record this. My friend was like, yeah, I remember when I went to your house and I got those lemons. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I never used that. And, and she's like, yeah, and I also have my maps where, like, I have trees where, you know, um, avocados or oranges, whatever, spill over. And I'm able to grab those things. And I remember when I was a kid, in the apartment building we had, there was a, a fig tree. And every so often, my mom's like, go run outside and go eat some figs. Like, leave me alone, you know? And I'm like, okay, I didn't, I didn't know that that was a form of foraging. Yeah, you know, foraging, at least for me, it's more of a mindset. There's a lot of bad connotations on foraging is, you know, you're just pillaging the land and whatever you can find. But it's actually more a mindset of putting to use what is available, especially with urban foraging. You know, I find it so silly that in Southern California, we buy lemons and citrus at the store when everybody seems to have some sort of citrus in their neighborhood already growing. It's just this different mindset of, you know, food comes from the store instead of the actual land around us. This is mugwort more medicinal than edible. It's extremely bitter. It was actually used for beer back in the day before they used hops. Jess is filled with all kinds of facts and tidbits like this. There's a whole bunch of watercress right there and nettle as well. Those are all edible plants. I've actually been hiking in this area before, but I didn't really realize there were edible things growing for free, like right here on the ground. Yeah, but there's nothing ever free in life, right? You know, we had to walk here. We had to, the effort it takes to find and process and time and energy we're expending to collect it, which is uh, more valuable, your money or your time. Okay, you're, you're giving me a morning ritual here to like think about my and reflect on this. I love it. We're getting deep in the woods now. It's down into oyster mushroom habitat. Now's the time to start looking. The ones we're looking for are going to be white or gray colored. There's so much growing in this riverbed, especially for LA. It's so green, but so far, no mushrooms. Yeah, like this tree, I know there used to always be one here. All right. So this is mushroom hunting in Southern California. <laughs> it's not always perfect. No, it's not. Sorry, y'all. We tried, but don't worry. Jess has a plan B. Oh, he's got to have a backup plan because, you know, it's not like going to the store expecting your favorite brand to be on the shelf. Uh, it's more like working with what you've got. So today there was no fresh mushrooms to collect. Backup plan is we're going to have some nettle with our acorn tortillas. 
Jess has taken us all the way to the other side of this big mountain, down into a gully where there's some nettle growing in the stream. That's stinging nettle, by the way. There aren't too many spines on the edges of the leaves, so I'm going to grab them like that. Jess is playing it cool, but let me tell you, that shit hurts. Basically, they inject formic acid into your skin. It's the same chemical that ants use when they bite you. It will sting for a couple days. Okay, last thing we need is some acorns. We're not going to be eating the ones we gathered here today. They need a lot of processing before they're ready to eat. But... We want to help Jess gather her next batch since she's going to hook us up with some grub later. This time of year, I can't pass up good acorns when I see them. Um, These are nice big ones, so... We're in this, like, squirrel mode, trying to get the biggest ones so we could get the best bang for our buck. They're everywhere. Just watch out for poison oak. Oh. I tested probably about 10 different species of acorns in Southern California. I would say the clear winner was the California black oak. How bitter are they? I mean, I'm not going to buy into it right now, but like how bad are they? Good. You could try it right now if you want. You want to try one? Okay. There you go. Can you okay. give that a taste? Just a little bit. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. I've had like, you know, those almonds that have been in storage and forever, and they have that tangy taste. Mm-hmm. And this is almost similar, but a little bit more tangier. Jess says that I could only have one small bite, though. Because there's some toxic chemicals in there that need to be leached out. Can you give me a, a story and like, how'd you get into all this? My first time I found an oyster mushroom and knew for certain what it was. I knew that if I ate it, I wasn't going to die. I remember going to bed that night thinking that could be it. That could be the end. <laughs> but here I am, many, many, many mushrooms later. It's, I feel like it's been a lifelong process. As a kid, I loved nature, fascinated with plants and animals. I was outside as much as I possibly could be. Kind of got sidetracked for a while. I had to, you know, go to school and get a real job. But after my first daughter was born, I was pulled back to nature through wanting to eat cleaner, wanting to keep diving deeper into where my food was coming from. Chefs started to find out about me and wanted to collaborate and work together. Foraging for chefs was hard work. Every single week out and about, trying as hard as I could to collect the amounts that they wanted while also balancing the sustainability aspect and like I don't want to you know have a bad impact on these places. It was cool. I got to work with some really high-end chefs that I absolutely respect but it was started eating at my conscience quite a bit like it's not sustainable to feed massive amounts of people who aren't doing the work themselves. After the pandemic Jess decided to stop selling forage goodies to restaurants. Instead, she started teaching. That's where change happens, you know, helping people understand where food comes from, seeing value in what's around us. There's kind of this aha moment of like, whoa, I just saw where that grows and I saw how to collect it and how, how to prepare it and we're eating it and it's all comes full circle. You know, forager's mindset, the abundance is everywhere. This is the acorn tortilla. I'm going to cook up the nettle first. Oh, fuck. (laughs) Oh, I feel it now. 
Now you're feeling it. Oh, yeah. Now you're feeling it. Now I'm feeling it. I. Damn. And this is what you do when you cook this, girl? Uh, you can use gloves if you want, but don't have gloves at the moment, so. Am I going to bleed? No. Ow, 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 ow. Don't worry, though. They don't sting once they're ready to eat. Mmm. This is pretty good. I was expecting it to be, like, not soft. Mm. But it's melty. The nettle, I mean, it tastes like a green, but not like a weird, like, what it looks like on the, in the wild, you know? This is my first time getting gathered food in the wild and then coming back and having a meal. I've not eaten from an oak tree before, and I definitely have not had a, como se llama? Uh, acorn tortilla. <laughs> That's delicious, by the way. You know, it was, it was funny because I was telling my friends, I'm like, oh, we're going to go find food. It sounds kind of like, you know, out there, right? And then my friend's like, no, I forage my food, Brian. You see me do it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I just connect the pieces, right? Connect the dots. And it's, it's, I think it's a beautiful way to connect with nature, but it's also a beautiful way to understand a little bit more of yourself. Like, just understanding that the acid from this plant, it, it stings a little, but in the end you have a nutritious meal, right? So it's like not being afraid to dare and live a little and do something different. Alrighty, y'all. That's it for today. The park ranger's coming along, so we gotta pack up all this food and bounce. I'll catch y'all later. How to LA is produced by Evan Jacoby, Megan Botel, and Victoria Alejandro. Erica Washington writes our newsletter. Chris Farias is our social media producer. Our intern is Olive Bieni. Our engineer is Hasmik Pagosian. Megan Larson is our executive producer. And I'm your host, Brian De Los Santos. If you like this episode and want to hear more, leave us a review. And don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. It's free and it helps our new listeners discover the show. See y'all next week. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at Elias.com slash sweeps. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events.